You can be open up your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 4. We'll be continuing to study in Galatians today, as we have done for several weeks now. And I hope you're enjoying the study. Galatians is a, is a fairly short letter. I mean, it's only about six chapters, right? But it's a lot of stuff. And we're going to continue through this next quarter studying the letter to the churches in Galatia. Uh, so that I hope you'll continue to uh, come and be part of this class and to uh, study the rest of the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. Be reminded next week is our harvest weekend, so we won't be having our regular class. Brother Richard Harp's going to be speaking to us on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and he will be speaking during class time in here. So uh, we'll get a, get a reprieve from me, but uh, I hope you're looking forward to this weekend, and Brother Richard Harp will be here to bring us some great, great lessons. All right, <clears throat> beginning in verse uh, chapter 4, there, let's just start reading in verse 8. Paul says, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. <clears throat> wow, that's a pretty powerful set of verses right there. You think about it, right? What's Paul saying? He's saying, you're doing something that's going to cause you to lose your soul. And here I am, I've worked my tail off helping you out. Preach, he didn't say that many words, but he said, I preached the gospel to you, and you accepted it, and here you are going back. So my work's in vain? Is that right? Are you telling me my work's just in vain? Well, we're going to look at something specific about what he's referring to there today. And that's the observance of holidays, okay? Holidays are actually, you know, special days. Holidays are a common feature in many religions, right? So particularly in Judaism and Islam, you have your feast days and holy days. And Judaism, of course, the feast days, all those the Feast of Passover, Tabernacles, Pentecost, all those were instituted under the law of Moses, right? They were required to take part in that as a, as a practicing Jew, right? That was part of the law of Moses. But remember, what's Paul trying to do here? He's trying to show them that we are no longer under the law. We are free. We have liberty. We have liberty in Jesus Christ. And of course today, uh, we have religious holidays today, right? Uh, Christmas and Easter. Are they religious holidays in some realms? Well, yeah. I mean, you ever seen a, the, you ever watched the Pope's Christmas Mass on, on Christmas Eve at midnight? Right? They have a special thing. They got the little doll, baby doll Jesus, you know, and they, I don't, they do all the stuff with it, whatever, you know, but that's all religious observances of holidays, just like the Jews practice, just like you see in Islam today. But did you know that holidays in the New Testament in Christianity are pretty much absent? We don't see anything in the New Testament about observing a special holiday. We don't see anything about having a special observance, a feast, a special day because of a holiday. Holidays in New Testament Christianity are not there. Yeah, the church did assemble on the Lord's Day. We see that practiced. We see that pattern over and over in the New Testament, and that's what we follow today. 
but there is no record of celebrating any holiday like Christmas, Easter, Lent, etc. In fact, Christians were warned. Part of this verse is what Paul's talking about is being careful about that, okay? In fact, Christians were warned regarding religious ideas not to let others judge them according to certain things and being concerned regarding those who did observe them. Look over in Colossians chapter 2, and let's see what he wrote to the church in Colossae. Chapter 2, <clears throat> verse, let's begin in verse 16. He says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Interesting point he makes there. He's saying, Don't let anybody judge you about certain things, observances, but then he has concern in verse 10 and 11, which we just read, regarding those who observe them. You say, well, wait a minute, that sounds like a contradiction, right? One might wonder about these holidays and why didn't the early church observe them? Why was Paul concerned about them? And are there circumstances today when Christians might observe religious holidays? Hmm. So you're probably thinking, is he about to tell us we can't have Christmas? Is he about to put a nix on our Easter egg hunt on Easter Sunday? Hold those thoughts. We'll get into it, okay? First of all, what's Paul getting at here? Well, <clears throat> remember the theme that we've been following in the letter to the churches in Galatia. All right? Paul is having to deal with the Judaizing teachers who are trying to say, you have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law, right? And he's over and over expressing the fact that we are now free in Christ. We are now under the law of liberty. The law of Moses can't be kept. We are no longer under it. It's our tutor. Remember, last week we talked about under the law, they were still children. They were still in need of a guardian. But now we are free in Christ. And he just alluded to it there in Colossians 2 when he said they were a shadow. The holidays, the feast, the rituals were a shadow of things to come. Okay. Galatians 4 there, he has in mind those who've come out of paganism, all right? Now, you, if you study the history of our holidays, you can, you can say it goes back to these pagan, I don't know, the Druids had the, the Christmas tree, or not Christmas trees, but the trees and the wreaths and things, and you can say those traditions come out. I don't, I'm sure that would be a great study to go through. I don't know all that history. But you could probably say our holidays have some roots in paganism, even Christmas, even Easter perhaps right? Even though they claim to be religious holidays. Paul's referring to things that these folks had come out of, right? The Jews, of course, and especially Gentiles too. They had their pagan rituals. They didn't know the law of Moses. They didn't know about necessarily the feasts, tabernacles, Pentecost, but they had other things that they dealt with, right? <clears throat> and so he's going to mention here in verse 10 a few things specific about what was found in the law of Moses. Refer back to verse 10 there in Galatians 4 and see what he says there. You observe days and months and seasons and years. All right. Well, we can kind of, if we were to go back through the Old Testament, we can see what he's talking about here. On face value, it, it may not know exactly what it means, but of course days, he's obviously talking about observing a Sabbath day, right? Which way they were to observe under the law. That was very lawful. Months <coughs> probably refers to the new moons, under the Old Testament, back in those days, they didn't have a, 
uh, calendar set for everybody, right, that you knew August 1st was such and such a day, and you could tell by uh, the continuation of time when that was to occur. They did it by the new moon. They did it by the phases of the moon. That's how they knew when months began or months ended. And there were rituals. There were celebrations that went on about the new moon, the months. The new moon had started. The, the things they would do, pagan, pagan rituals, things like that. Seasons, perhaps he's talking about the festivals, of course, that the Jews partook in. Passover, tabernacles, seasons. There was a time for each one, right? You know, they, these were yearly occurrences, but they occurred at certain seasons. Um, years, probably talking about, of course, the Jews had the annual atonement, right? Day of atonement. High priest went into the Holy of Holies to one day out of the year to forgive sins. Roll the sins forward, actually. Might have had also, he might be talking about the fact that about the sabbatical years and the Jubilee. If you don't know what those are, the sabbatical years, anybody know what the sabbatical years and the Jubilee was for the Israelites? You familiar with that? The sabbatical years, of course, was every seven years. The Israelites or the Jews were to let the land that they were cultivating lay fallow, right? Let it lay. Let it revive itself, you might say. And that was for their partly for their benefit, but partly so they could uh, have some rest. But partly the ground, the, the land needed to be revived from all those years of being cultivated and plowed up and planted and harvested and all that. And so you had that. And then also every 50 years you had the Jubilee, which was, you know what that was? Of course, you'd land, every 50 years the land would lay fallow again. Not only that, you would have freedom of slaves. They were allowed to be, go free. You had freedom of debts every 50 years. Uh, Jews were supposed to free, let, you know, let people that owed them stuff be forgiven of that. All those things were coined. So that's probably what he's talking about here. But Paul's saying you're, you're still doing these things. You're still involved with these things. And he describes them in verse 9 as weak and beggarly elements. Well, what does he mean by that? Go back there to Colossians chapter 2, and let's read on a few verses there. What we said there, we were reading 16 and 17. Let's read on a little bit. Verse 20 says, Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using. According to the commandments and doctrines of men, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. What's he saying right there? These are these weak elements that he's talking about. Things that you might hear today. Keeping the old law, the things that aren't really going to save you. Things that are just indulgences now. Maybe, maybe it's good for the body, right? But it's not for the soul. It's not going to help you in the long run. These are things he's alluding to. Beggarly elements. Ephesians 1. Remember we talked about the great riches we have in Christ? But he says in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, if you're going back, you're not going to partake in those riches. You don't have it. You're going to lose it. Elements, you know, the, uh, designed to be things, things that are designed to be replaced. In other words, you're going back to things that were a shadow of things to come that were going to be replaced by things to come. Turn over to Hebrews. And let's read something from there. Hebrews chapter 9. 
Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse uh, 6. He says, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. By the way, Ben's tabernacle, his mom's tabernacle is still sitting up here if you hadn't seen it. It's a pretty cool little model. But it was symbolic for the present time. He uses the word symbolic right there. Did you notice that? It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings of flesh ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. You see, these, these were elements that were used to foreshadow what was to come, but they didn't save them. They were not for salvation. They were simply pointing to Christ, to what was to come. So he's saying, why? Why go back to these beggarly elements, these weak and beggarly elements? Religious days, ordinances designed to be replaced. Remember in John, when we study, particularly in chapter 4, what did John chapter 4 and verse 20, he talks about, the Lord talks about to the woman at the well. Remember? He's talking about how the Israelites say they're to worship in Jerusalem and the Samaritans are worshiping up here on the mountain. And he says, there's coming a time. There's coming a time when neither here nor there but God desires worshipers in spirit and in truth. In other words, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the church that's going to be established. It's coming when all worship him because they love him and because of what he did for them. Not to observe the rituals, not to keep the feast, not to keep the law, but to serve him because of what he's done for them. Well, Okay, so you say, well, what's the big deal? Okay, so we might observe a holiday or two. What's the big deal? Well, apparently, this can bring you back into bondage under the law, right? We refer back in Galatians 3, I just mentioned it, where he talks about under the law, you were still children. Under the law, you're still guardian. Paul's making the point that you got to get past that. We are past that now. We are under liberty. There is a growth process there. That law, those special rituals were there to help you grow, to understand. In bondage to the elements of the world because you're going back to it. So, those in Christ have been redeemed. We've been set free. God sent his son for this purpose. There's no need for it anymore. They have become sons and heirs, and we have been harping on that for the last few weeks. You're now children of God. You're now heirs to the inheritance, to the promise that was made to Abraham. We don't need the law anymore. We don't need the rituals and the holidays. If you're going back to that, you're just becoming under bondage again to the law. You're not free. Observance of religious holidays can be a return to bondage. Well, many will say, well, I... I think it helps my faith to observe Christmas, or I think it helps my faith to observe a holiday, right? And it's funny because a lot of times, you know, a lot of folks, the only time they ever come to church, right, is on 
a Christmas Eve service somebody has or, or on Easter Sunday, right? And they think they're being religious. What are they really doing? They're just keeping the law. They're just observing a ritual. There's no faith there. There's no inward spiritual growth. They're just going through the motions. In liberty in Christ means an everyday relationship with the Lord. It's not about keeping the holidays. It's not about observing Christmas or, or whatever it is, a, a feast. It's about having that relationship with God. God sent his son, and Paul's trying to make the point, if you go back to the old stuff, you're basically denying Christ. And in verse 4 of chapter 5, he said, you have fallen from grace. Whoa, 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 what are you saying? You're saying if I observe Christmas, I've fallen from grace? Well, bear with me. We'll get to that. Don't go back. That's his point. Don't fall back. Be careful what you're observing. And as I was just alluding to, it can endanger your salvation. Apostasy is possible. Did you know that? You can fall from grace, no matter what some might tell you. If you ever have a discussion with a Calvinist, they're going to disagree with that, right? And so then I always ask the question, well, what if somebody's a Christian and then they, their life becomes miserable or they commit every crime or sin in the world and then they die? Are they going to heaven? Well, they probably never were Christians in the first place. Hmm. How do you know that? Well, you can tell by their life. Oh, okay. Well, were they ever good? Did they ever try to follow the law? Well, I mean, follow Christ? Well, yeah, there was a time when they were pretty good Christian folks, you know? But then that ended. So they didn't fall away. They just never were Christians. Yeah. That's the explanation you'll get. Now, I don't know. I guess you could do some semantics there, you know. Now, maybe they weren't, you don't know. You don't know the heart. Only God knows that. But Scripture says you can fall away, and you better be careful. And if you're going back to this old stuff, you are in danger. <clears throat> Paul knew it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 when he talks about his fear of losing his faith. Verse 27, chapter 9, verse 27, 1 Corinthians. Turn over to Hebrews 12 there. Let's read a little more about that. Hebrews 12. <clears throat> and let's begin in verse 14. Hebrew writer says, pursue, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that after, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. I've always thought it's interesting how the Hebrew writer uses Esau as the example there. Think about that. It's pretty easy to see it, right? Esau had the birthright. He had it in his grasp. He was actually born with it. And so the Hebrews writer is saying, in that sense, we as Christians, we have the birthright. We have the inheritance. 
which Paul's trying to explain to the churches in Galatia right here in Galatians. And Esau gave it up. He gave it up because, well, he was hungry, I guess. There's more to it than just that. And then it was too late. You see, Esau fell from grace. He had the birthright. He had it in his grasp. And he gave it up. Interesting how the Hebrew writer loses that. I find it hard to understand how someone could say you can't lose your salvation and then read those verses. You can also read about it in 2 Peter and many other places, 2 Peter 2, 20, uh, John 15. There's several places where the gospel writers allude to the fact that be careful, you need to be careful. And Paul is saying that here. Don't go back. You're in danger of losing your salvation if you do that. If we observe religious holidays based on the law of Moses, out of a sense of necessity for our salvation, <laughs> we don't have it. We've fallen from grace. Not only that, our worship can be vain, right? Turn back over to what well, we read in Colossians 20 about Paul describing the vanity of self-imposed religion, right? Things from men, commandments from men, right? Observances of things from men, which were no true value, right? Turn over to Matthew 15. Let's see what the Lord says about all this. Matthew 15. <clears throat> Being in verse 1. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? What a, what a question, right? Why are you guys transgressing our traditions? Notice who he refers to those traditions belong to. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father and mother, Whatever profits you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God no effect. By your tradition. In other words, you've annulled the commandment of God because of these traditions you're telling you're telling us we've got to keep. Hypocrites. What did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but in their heart, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching a doctrine as doctrines, the commandments of men. Interesting point, right? We can worship in vain. And Paul's trying to say, if you go back to these other things, that's part of it. Your worship of the Lord is not of the heart. You're replacing it with a tradition. Traditions of men, no doubt. If we impose religious holidays through man-made tradition, then we offer worship. That's in vain. All right. So you're saying, well, I guess I can't have Christmas anymore. Is that what you're saying? No, you're not saying that, I know. Well, can we observe Christmas? Can we observe holidays? Hmm. Turn over to Romans chapter 14. Let's read something there. 
Beginning in verse 1, Romans 14. Paul says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced of his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, for he does not eat and gives God thanks. All right. Now, you're probably saying, well, what's that got to do with Christmas? Well, Paul is referring to a weak brother, right? And he's saying that we're not, to, we're not to despise a weak brother. We're not to rebuke them because they may have an issue with something I eat or, or observing a holiday, perhaps, a special day, right? He's saying, don't, don't get on them about that. They're sincere. They may not fully understand everything, but that's okay. They are trying to do the will of God, in other words. Right? So what's he saying there? He's saying, like, this is likely a reference to perhaps a Sabbath day, right? But in the context, this appears to have been something allowed for someone who's still trying to grow spiritually. And Paul understood that too with the Galatians. He fed them. He gave them the milk. God made the increase. But now it's past that, right? Now it's to the point where they should be grown enough to be able to understand when someone comes in and says, you've got to keep the old law. you still got to observe the feasts. He's saying, you need to get past that. So, in other words, Paul's saying, that it's okay. We understand that they're trying to grow. Paul himself observed some things, too. It's interesting. Go back to Acts chapter 18. And uh, we'll look at a few spots here, some things that Paul did, and see if we can understand where he's coming from. Acts chapter 18, and let's see, let's see, go to verse 18. Being in verse 18, he says, So Paul still remained a good while. He's in Antioch. And then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sincrea, for he had taken a vow. Hmm. And he came to Ephesus and left, and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. Wait a minute, what did I just read there? But took leave of them, saying, I must all by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Huh. Well, here's Paul writing to the Galatians about not keeping all these old holidays, and here he is keeping a feast and keeping the Nazarite vow. Okay. So Paul's doing something that it seems like he's telling the Galatians not to do. Is he doing the old do as I say, not as I do thing? Which your mom and dad might have said to you sometime. I don't know. Hmm. Look over there in Acts 21. beginning of verse 15. And after those days we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain 
of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. The following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders, and all the elders were present. When he greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriad of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken them out. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. Here Paul is helping some of these guys complete a vow. A vow that involves animal sacrifices. Evidently, to accommodate the brethren. Hmm. Interesting how he's doing some things here that seem to contradict what he's preaching, don't it? Perhaps, though, what we're seeing here is something done on an individual basis. Something done personally that does not affect worship. Does not affect my understanding of my freedom in Christ. Paul's taking advantage of some opportunities to, you might say, um, have fellowship with some folks. Maybe to win some to Christ. Perhaps that's part of this. He's keeping a feast. Well, here he's telling the Galatians they don't need to keep them, but he's doing it personally. It's not something they're doing in worship. It's not something that's been instituted as part of their worship service or part of their Christian life as far as their salvation goes. They say, well, well, what's the difference? Well, Paul would do things as the Romans do, right? You remember that? He said, in Rome, I do as the Romans do because I want to win some more. That don't mean he's doing stuff that's sinful. That don't mean he's doing something that's not in accordance with the will of God. But he has freedom. Remember? He has freedom in Christ. Yes, if they're going back to the old holidays, if they're saying, you've got to keep these religious holidays, you've got to keep the feast, then they're in danger of losing their salvation. He's saying, that's not the point. Those things were there to point to Christ, just like the old law. So these are things done on an individual basis, not as works or worship of the church. They can't save anybody. They can't be done, you know, as a purpose for salvation. And we actually have an example of Paul going to Jerusalem and having the council. Remember? Turn over to Acts 15 there. And see what they talked about regarding what to tell the Gentiles as far as keeping the law. 15 and verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught their brethren... Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small discussion and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, and these are Pharisees who are Christians, remember that, who rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Wow. So they've got to deal with this, right? Going down to verse 10. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. See, what happened with the council was the Judaizing teachers, the Pharisees, were trying to say you've got to keep the law, and they were able to determine no. All we're going to tell them is don't eat meat, act, fact, sacrifice to idols, and don't be sexually immoral. And that's basically it. Because they had freedom in Christ, and we're not going to make them keep all these religious holidays and feasts and so forth. Or else they'll be going backward. This is why religious holidays should not be a church function. <clears throat> they give the impression they are necessary, right? I know in this eldership we'll never have a Christmas tree in our lobby or a wreath on our door. And maybe you're thinking, that's silly. What's the big deal? This is why. Yeah. Maybe it's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things, right? But if you start doing that, what are the people going to think? What's the business going to think? Oh, we've got a Christmas service going here. Cool, right? No, we're not about Christmas. We're about Jesus Christ. And we have our freedom in Jesus Christ. We're not going back to the feast. We're not going back to the old law. Sure, we have the guides. We have the revelation of truth what's right and wrong through that law. We know things because of it. We were children once too, not under the law, but we can read what the law had to say. And Todd did a good lesson on the purpose of that a couple weeks ago. But now we are free in Christ. It doesn't mean you can't celebrate Christmas with your family. Right? That's you. Just like Paul's talking about, doing, Paul did with some feasts and some vows and so forth. Personally, that's you. The danger is starting to think that you've got to keep these holidays as part of church worship, as part of a requirement for your salvation. And you've got to be careful that what you're showing out there to the world. We don't have a special Christmas mass on Christmas Eve. We don't have anything special on Easter Sunday, you know. Everybody goes home, especially with the youngins and the grandbabies and hides the Easter eggs and all that, and that's, that's a fun thing to do, but we're not going to require that of anybody. Well, we wouldn't require that anyways, but... And we might get a lesson or two around Easter Sunday about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but not because it's Easter necessarily, it's because we've got to preach it. And we might even get a lesson on the birth of Christ around Christmas. That's okay to 
preach on the birth of Christ. As long as we're not requiring folks to observe the holiday. And in this congregation, I don't see that ever happening. At least not anytime soon. Probably not in your lifetime. Put it that way. And yeah, I know there's some congregations around that tend to observe those things, tend to have a wreath on the, well, not tend, they do. I've even been to some at Christmas time and there's a tree out in the lobby. You know, Church of Christ, yeah. But we're not going to do that here because of what Paul says here. We're not under the law. We're not here to preserve special holidays. We're here to preach Christ and Him crucified. And we're going to glorify Him because He was raised again and now He reigns in His kingdom, right hand of God. That's all you need, really. You don't need all this other stuff. And all these things that were instituted under the old law pointed to Him. That's it. It's pretty simple, really, when you get down to it. Greatest commandment, to love the Lord, to go with your heart, soul, and mind. Second, the same as the first, love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty much it. Under these all hangs all the law and the prophets. Right? Very scriptural. Okay. Hope you don't leave here today thinking I said you can't you can't have Christmas this year, all right? Don't 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 get bring that on me, okay? <laughs> I told Jolene, I said, well, I'm a little scared about doing this lesson. But I'm trying to explain where Paul's coming from here, right? And I think it's very scriptural. All right. Thanks for being here. Our time is up.